Well, good morning to all the dear saints, not only to those who gather together at Guelph Faith Bible Assembly, but also to all the saints who will be listening to these messages through sermon audio. These are very unfortunate times for all of us, and the threat of this coronavirus is very real and lethal. Its sudden and universal spread and deadly consequences has left the general populace in a state of panic and bewilderment as to how to deal with such a frightening adversary. There are no vaccines for this virus as of yet, and although a few antibiotics seem promising, there are still no effective treatments available to combat its devastating effects. The world economies have literally been shut down to slow down the spread of this pandemic by keeping people isolated from one another. Authorities hope that this new disease may be somehow staved off or at least brought under control. Meanwhile, as this virus spreads, those who are on the front lines caring for the sick are being infected and dying at an alarming rate. This deadly plague knows no boundaries. It does not discriminate against age, race, gender, or political bias. Though the authorities are doing their best to mitigate this virus, to thwart it, to treat it, etc., they are still at this stage guessing guessing at procedures to deal with it, guessing at therapies and treatment, guessing at its eventual toll on human life. In the light of this pandemic, there is also another side that very few of us have considered. We live in a fallen world. There are today, as there have been in the past, sinister spiritual forces of darkness at work, especially in cases where the outcomes may have profound effects on the human race. The Apostle Paul warns us of this in Ephesians 6, verses 12 to 17. He explains that we as Christians are battling evil forces, spiritual beings in high positions, and how we ought to conduct that battle. Turn with me, please, now for a moment to our main text for this uh, sermon, Ephesians 6, verses 12 to 17. Paul writes, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The Apostle Paul alerts us to the fact that there are evil entities, spirit beings, that are operating behind the scenes of physical reality. They are wicked and have as their ultimate goal to deceive, to destroy, and to defeat all that is good. Their objective is to thwart God's plans, and in so doing, they aim to avoid their eventual doom in the burning lake of fire. In the book of Daniel, when Daniel prayed for an answer from God in Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 to 21, we are given a glimpse of this spiritual kingdom. Daniel had been waiting for 20 days or so for an answer to his prayer. And finally it came. God had sent Gabriel, the angel, to deliver it to Daniel. In the process, Gabriel was hindered in his visit by the prince of Persia with whom he battled for 20 days until Michael the archangel came to his rescue. After delivering the answer to Daniel, he told Daniel in verse 20 of that chapter, that he must return to battle with the prince of Persia once again. But he also warned Daniel that when Gabriel leaves, the prince of Grisha shall then come. We have another glimpse of these principalities in spiritual places. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 13 to 17, where Elisha was at Dotham with his servant. When they had risen early, they saw the city surrounded with the Syrian army, an untold number of horses and chariots and soldiers, an insurmountable and impenetrable army of soldiers. The servant, in a state of panic, utters these words to Elisha in verse 15, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Elisha answers him in the next verse, verse 16, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. The young man was given a rare glimpse into the spirit kingdom and was able to see the angelic hosts of the Almighty ready to do battle. So you see, dearly beloved, there is a real battle taking place over this planet called Earth, and the battle is over the souls of men. The greater the deception, the greater the distraction, then the greater will be the destruction of men's souls. Never before in the annals of history has the remnant of God's people been 
universally prevented from congregating together as a people. Never before has the church been so effectively and efficiently quenched from functioning and from openly proclaiming the gospel of salvation. Easter is approaching next week, but the services worldwide have been curtailed in every country that is remotely civilized. Does this not seem sinister to you? For the only remedy for defeating evil is God and his saving grace. All windows previously which had been opened in this country to witness to our neighbors, our loved ones, colleagues, etc., have effectively now been closed. So much fear and panic has been focused on this pandemic that even the Lord's people have been subtly diverted from the Great Commission, while at the same time untold numbers are passing into a Christless eternity. We need to wake up to what is really going on behind the scenes. We need to take to heart and practice what the Apostle Paul admonishes the church in Ephesians 6.13. Wherefore, and that is a very important word, since we are wrestling against these demonic entities and not against men, then we need to fight in a completely different manner. And so Paul writes, wherefore, take on to you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And how do we do that? How do we stand? Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. We must have the truth of God embedded in our hearts and in our minds. We must have first and foremost the one who is the truth, the way and the life residing within our heart and within our soul. We must be wearing his righteousness, for we have none of our own. And yet we are called to be righteous, to be holy. And how does that work? We need to trust his word and believe in his promises and allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring out this re renewal in our hearts and in our minds. Verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wherever we go, wherever we are, we need to be ready and willing to impart the gospel of peace to others, regardless of our circumstances. And what is the gospel of peace? Why, it is the same gospel that Paul said that he was not ashamed of, in Romans 1, 16 to 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith.
This is the gospel that Nicodemus believed on in the night that he met with the Savior secretly in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then, and only then, can the sinner have peace with God. Verse 16 of Ephesians 5. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield of faith. And what is that? It is the most defensive weapon of all, faith. Faith in the one who went to the cross of Calvary and took upon himself all of our sins, past, present, and future. The one who cried out, it is finished, in John 19.30. It is finished. The work of salvation is finished. There is nothing more to be done. There is absolutely nothing that can ever be taken away from it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reminds us, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith in the word of God. These two are synonymous. He who is the word of God gave the word of God. To believe in the one is to believe in the other. That then becomes our shield of faith when the enemy attacks us as sinners and are standing in Christ. That shield of faith is our assurance that God means what he says and says what he means. And no matter what lies the enemy throws at us, we will be able to quench them with the shield of faith. And finally, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, dear friends, do you notice this verse? There is only one offensive weapon in the whole armor of God, and that is the sword. The word of God empowered by the Spirit of God. And how sad today, when we had the opportunity to read, to study, to learn, to experience, to go to Bible studies, to go to prayer meetings, and to apply the Word of God to our lives, we did not do it. And now, when this crisis has come upon us, oh, how valuable and how important it is to have done so. Many Christians now find themselves defenseless, defeated. They do not know what to do. They do not know what is going to happen next. What will become of them or their families, their homes, their livelihood, etc.? But the Apostle Paul says to take the helmet of salvation, what is that? That is your inward voice of God telling you both in your mind and in your heart that he is yours and you are his. 
It is that supernatural assurance that you are a genuine child of God and will continue to be so no matter what happens. It is that same assurance which Job had, even when he had lost everything. He was still able to say in Job 13:15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Or King David in Psalm 23, verse 4, when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oh, dear friends, can you say that with a sincere heart? What Job said or what David said? We should be able to say that if we are truly his. For those who may in this time of weakness and uncertainty be unsure of their standing in Christ, let me urge you to re-examine yourselves. Come now, says Isaiah 1.18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That is all you need to do is come. Come as you are. Come with all of your sins confessed and bared before God. Come realizing there is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself except to receive God's offer of grace through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross of Calvary and took upon himself all of your sins and all of my sins and nailed them to that cruel cross. He paid the penalty for all our sins. He endured the punishment for those sins at the hand of his Father on that awful day when darkness covered the whole world, while God the Father turned away from his Son, who endured our judgment in our place. And that is why Christ cried out in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, dear friends, don't think for a minute that God, who went to this extent, to provide a way of salvation through his Son, would ever accept you in any other way. No church, no religion, no amount of good works, no other way will ever deal with your sin question but Christ and Christ alone. Won't you turn from your sins and receive Christ as your Savior now? If you haven't done so already, tomorrow may be too late. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16.31 Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ so loved us that he went to the cross of Calvary 
and took upon himself all our sins and nailed them to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins, a penalty we could never have paid by ourselves. The word of God tells us that he who knew no sin, who did no sin, in whom was no sin found, was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, Father, we thank thee for this wonderful gift of salvation. And all we need to do is to receive it, to believe it, and to be saved. Father, we thank thee for such a Savior. In his name, we give thee thanks. Amen.